Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Ryan Phillips, your host here on Deep Down the Middle, episode three with my co-host, Ryan Kieran. Ryan, how we doing this week, bud? I'm not doing too well. Uh, boy, this is a Patriots podcast, so we don't have to sit on it for too long, but uh, long live Mookie Betts. Um, my personal favorite athlete in Boston sports history, uh, so this this has been a really tough one for me. Yeah. Uh, not, um... not particularly that. Back-to-back tough weeks with Dante riding out into the sun, uh, off into the sunset, Mookie getting traded, um, and watching a, uh, a new team lift the Lombardi Trophy this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, always a weird uh, always a weird deal there. Um, guys, you know the format. Uh, deep down the middle here, we know the truth. It usually lies somewhere in the middle. We'll be taking a deep dive into one topic here in just a little bit, but we're going to touch on a couple of NFL uh, topics around the league and then touch a little bit on some Patriots news. Um, Ryan. Super Bowl 54, Pat Mahomes is your MVP. Uh, is there a case to be made that he should not have been the Super Bowl MVP? Uh, I mean, there's a case to be made, uh, of course. Uh, I don't think it's the right case to be made. Um, you know, Granted, he threw two interceptions. Uh, one was the maybe the worst interception he's thrown in his career. One wasn't particularly on him at all. It was um, – I that second interception – it was just a combination of unfortunate events. It was uh, a tough throw from a tough angle that Pat Mahomes had to make. It was to Tyreek Hill, uh, who is not the best away from body catcher in the league. He's very good at a lot of things. That is not one of them. Um, he, he had to throw it behind him because of the safety crashing down, ready to murder him in front of him. And the way that Tyreek tried to turn around and swipe at the ball ended up like, like scooping it back into the air so that the safe, so that, uh, deep safety could come in and have time to make that diving interception. So it was really a, just, it wasn't anyone's fault really. Um, if that was like a Sammy Watkins, that's a better, that's a catch probably just because that's something that Sammy Watkins can do that Tyree kill doesn't really have. If it was a slightly better throw, that is, it's extremely difficult for Pat Mahomes to make. Uh, it's also probably completed, but it's no one's real fault that it ends up interception. Sometimes things just happen. Uh, and then in the last seven and a half minutes of that game, Pat Mahomes did Pat Mahomes things. Pat Mahomes is the reason that that play that if you believe in momentum, turn the momentum of the game and you know, won them, you know, proceeded to win them the game. That was all Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is the reason that they won this game. Patrick Mahomes is why they are Super Bowl champions for the first time in 50 years. So Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. Yeah, the naysayers out there will look at Damian Williams' hundred-yard game, and which you know a, a large chunk comes on the uh, the final running, uh, the touchdown. 
um, for him. Yeah, a couple of touchdowns for him on the on the on the day. Nice. Um, right, because half, it's not half the, his scoring right. half his scoring production and forty percent of his rushing production came on that one play. Right, um, because it wasn't Patrick Mahomes. I mean, literally, he he has two tur- turnovers, and it's like, oh, this this isn't the Patrick Mahomes we're used to. Well, the game ended up coming out from an EPA per play perspective. It came out in the top third percentile of games that he's played, so it was a better than average Pat Mahomes performance from an EPA perspective uh, when you look at the analytics of it um all right moving on a little bit of patriots business uh there were some shenanigans with tom brady during the super bowl uh and the days leading up um with some instagram some cryptic instagram posting and whatnot um don't want to get too deep into it but uh but ryan what um what does the instagram post and all the hulu stuff and the crazy tom brady rumors and the nashville stuff what does all this mean uh, none of it means anything because no one knows what's going to happen until it happens. Um, basically, all of the reports that came out, and uh, I'm going to hurt myself again, it was just like the Mookie Betts trade reports until he actually got traded, where every day it was basically like, look, the Dodgers are interested, the Padres are interested. Maybe something's going to happen. Maybe it's not. We don't know. Something's going to happen. Um, but they just kept saying the same thing over and over and over. And, and that's pretty much what we're already getting to with Brady, where um, – all that basically all we learned the past week are that is that he's not retiring. Already knew that, and the teams that were interested are in fact interested. That we thought were interested are in fact interested. The Raiders, the Chargers, the Patriots, etc. I'd say the only noteworthy news that comes out of this is just to be implied from uh, betting odds that came out, where the Titans were plus sixteen hundred at like the twelfth or thirteenth most likely team to sign him uh, if he was to leave the Patriots. So that was the thirty-one other teams' odds. Um, the Raiders were favorite. The Chargers were the second favorite. The Titans were like 14th. And those are the three teams that have been most linked so far. So it seems like the Titans aren't really players. Um, and then the Patriots are still minus 250 to keep them. So they are still the overwhelming favorite. So we really haven't learned anything about this situation. It's just the same thing is being said in new ways, basically. Okay. Um, all right. Moving into our topic this week, uh, moving things along here. Because we wanted to bring you a little bit, just to talk a little bit about how the league is moving on in terms of how things are perceived in terms of balance. We hear it all the time. Uh, you know, I've got a special little uh, little logo here that, that I put up on, on, on the screen that just says, just says balance. Everybody thinks balance is a 50-50 deal where, you know, as long as you're keeping a run-pass balance of 50-50, the defense doesn't know what's going on. Um, and uh, this, is how, this is how you need to operate the, the assumption – and what we're told all the time by color commentators and, and the broadcasters is, well, they need to achieve balance in order to be effective. Uh, and what we've seen now is that what we and what we what we thought was balance uh, isn't actually the case. Ryan, go uh, a little deeper into this for us and tell me tell me a little bit about quote unquote balance. All right. So, I mean, like you said, everyone thinks that, you know, you got you need to establish the run. You need to um, run to set up play action. You need to run to keep the defense from uh, just sitting back in coverage or just pinning their ears back and getting after the quarterback. And none of that is true. What you need to do is move the ball effectively. And this applies, this is going to, we're going to get to how this applies to the Super Bowl because this, the Super Bowl provides a great case of this, but what in when you are just managing a game, especially when you're managing a game with a late lead, what you need to do is continue to move the ball. You need to score points. It does not matter how you do that to score points. There are there is no history that suggests that in in the current era that running the ball 
is the most efficient way to score points. And if you run the ball more, you are going to get more yards and score more points. Um, I know you have some numbers ready to go, Brian, but so running is just a numbers game. That's all that running is. If you, okay, tip at home. If you want to determine whether the offense should run the ball on any given play or not, regardless of situation, uh, I mean, not regardless of situation, if it's third and 15, you're not going to run the ball no matter what you see. But if you're in a relatively normal situation where running and passing is equally valid, look at the number of defenders that are in the box. Look at the number of offensive players that are in the box. The box being that from, you know, and from line of scrimmage, the people down on the line from one end to the other within like five yards, five to seven yards on either side of the ball. That is the box. If the defend, if the defending team has more players in that box than the offensive team, uh, in ter- the offense has blockers in that box, you don't run the ball, you pass the ball. If they have the same amount, it probably goes either way. That, And if they have less, you should probably run the ball because that's all that running is. It's a numbers game. If you can get more than one person on your offense as a blocker on each defender, you're going to have success running the ball. If you have to try and block eight people with six blockers, you are not going to have success running the ball. So running people love to think that there's some great scheme and, you know, Kyle Shanahan is great at run defending or designing runs, but at its core running is just a numbers game and passing is not just a numbers game. And that's why passing is more efficient, which I think you have the numbers to detail, Brian. I do. Um, And as it relates to the Patriots, okay. And and the reason we brought the chiefs up and, and, and it's been talked about to death when, when Brian and I are both, uh, passing game you know we're we're very pro passing game um but when you look at neutral situations okay um specifically in the numbers i'll cite here specifically in the first half okay uh, outside of two minutes um and uh, so you take away that final two minutes of the half and when a win when the win percentage is between 20 and 80 percent okay these games are complete coin flips these are these are neutral situations you could probably include some third quarter numbers in there as well but just to make sure you're getting the the, the best most consistent neutral sample size uh these first half numbers are con- are commonly used okay the patriots were fifth in the league in 28 uh 2019 uh in pass rate uh right around i believe it was 54 percent uh 55 percent uh, according to NFL Scrap R, but uh, my my numbers are a little skewed because I include the wild card game. Um, but that was fifth in the league, okay, uh, behind hilariously Chicago, um, and then uh, you also had Miami was in fourth, um, and then uh, Green Bay, New Orleans uh, were both right around 56, 57 percent. Kansas City was 73 percent in neutral first and second down. Uh, in, in neutral first and second down pass rate in neutral situations. That is absolutely absurd. And the reason they do it is because the best way to execute on third down is to not leave yourself third downs. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really that simple. And Ryan, and just to talk a little bit about what you were talking about with, um, with box count, a lot of what the analytics are showing us now as well is that it's not so much the plus or minus it's, it's, the correlation and and the R squared and all the crazy math numbers, it's really just about how many defenders there are. Even if you only have five blockers, 
the seventh, it's it's only about how many defenders are in the box. Eight, obviously, not ideal. You're going to want to throw the football. Um, seven, uh, it doesn't matter if you have six blocking against seven or five against six. It's really just about that six, seven, or eight defenders in the box number. And the Patriots were uh, actually a little more predictable this year um, in these situations. And I've got it broken down, and we'll go over it here in just a little bit. But uh, in these situations where box count was uh let's say the, the the most standard situation was seven guys in the box okay three three defensive linemen three linebackers and usually a safety or four defensive linemen and three linebackers uh in those situations and again we're talking about these neutral situations first half first and second downs um win percentage between 20 and 80 percent they were 51 percent run rate this year with uh with a 41 percent success rate which is poor it's it's, and and success rate just to be clear is uh your offense is keeping yourself on schedule to pick up a first down or touchdown if it's a goal goal situation so on first and 10 picking up three yards is not a success picking up four yards well it all depends so so the success rate in this situation and and is epa per play exactly is it just just to dumb it down a little bit is it gaining points? So it's just like it's the same conversation we have all the time when people say, "Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of runs, you know, a one yard run or on on third and, and third and two is a lot worse than a one yard run in first and ten. Well, yes, and that's reflected. All of that is reflected in the EPA. Um, right. Success rate is going to tell you were you keep were you on track, just like you said, Ryan. Were you on track, and were you keeping the offense on schedule to score the next touchdown in the contest? Um, and when when the Patriots faced seven guys in the box, uh, it was typically because they were in their bigger personnel. So you have to imagine if you if you have seven defenders in the box, it's because you invited them into the box. You had mm-hmm. a fullback, you had a tight end, you had um, guys motioning in and playing H back. We saw it from Edelman all year long, and even a little Muhammad Sanu. Guys coming in and literally squaring up in the tight end spot. You know, um, those are guys that I counted as in the box when they draw a defensive back in. That guy is now in the box. Um, when you just go down to six guys in the box, when they're not inviting these guys in and, and creating all this traffic, they only ran it 34% of the time. But the success rate w- went up by 6%. So that's obvi- you know obviously much better. And the, the success rate with six-man boxes was just as uh, was just as good as it was uh, throwing the football, um, which is is the key to a good success rate guys is throwing the football as much as you, as much as you possibly can throw the football. Now, every team would love to have a Pat Mahomes and a Tyreek Hill and a Travis Kelsey and a Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle. And, and, and guys like Robinson and Sammy Watkins running seams all day long. that, That would be fantastic. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously a quarterback that can dish it like Pat Mahomes can, but, the efficiency is there that you have you've you absolutely you owe it to your offense to put them in the best position to do it um and a 50 50 split is just simply not doing that at ryan anything to add on this and is there any middle ground here uh that we could that we can reach or are we both on the same side um as far as balance is not what we once thought it was and so i so I think we're pretty much on the same side and I do want to shift towards how this impacts like managing late game leaves and the Super Bowl uh, in a second too. But I just want, I just want to preface too. I, I grew up playing football. I was a running back. I love running the ball. I think running the ball is the most aesthetically pleasing form of football. 
There's nothing better in football than seeing like a Ravens where they just line up and they maul everyone and you see gaps and you know that running back is not going to even be touched for seven yards at least. And then maybe he makes something happen and the defense and the other team's fans just have to watch and wait until someone gets close enough to even touch them. I think that is so much fun and I absolutely love it. I love it. There's nothing better. And and this is where and people start to get mad at like the analytics nerds. Um, is they think that they want running the ball to be completely out of the game. That's not that. That's not what they're saying. They need efficiency in the game. So no one is going to tell the Baltimore Ravens, the 2019 Baltimore Ravens, not to run the ball whenever the hell they want because they were gashing people. Right. When you are running like the Baltimore Ravens, like you were, like you were running like the San Francisco 49ers were for a lot of the year, and we'll get there in a second. Or in the NFC run, Championship game. Right. You run whenever you want because that is just as effective as passing the ball when you are that successful. However, you are not always that successful, and it's so much easier to have a defense just decide to stop the run than to just decide to stop the pass. Again, because it becomes a numbers game. If the defense is going to devote eight men in the box, you need to start passing the ball. If the defense is going to devote seven men in the box, you need to have – that's where some sort of balance comes from so that they cannot just key off because those are the crucial players where talent starts to win out a little bit versus just numbers. But when you have eight in the box, it doesn't matter what the situation is. It does unless you are just literally running the ball one time where you're ba- like taking a knee almost just to get the clock done, and you're the game's over. So again, in those twenty to eighty percent win uh, win probabilities where the game is still in the balance, if there's eight in the box, you need to pass every single time. So that takes me into managing late game leads. People fundamentally misunderstand how to bleed clock. Bleeding clock is not running the ball. Bleeding clock is picking up first downs. Bleeding clock is maintaining possession of the ball. It does not matter how you do that. If you are in second and seven and you pick up a first down throwing the ball and he goes out of bounds and stops the clock, you still get three more downs to keep the clock running. If you run there and now you have third and eight and you are probably punting, you're killing a minute 20 off the clock. Versus now you've killed two plus minutes and then more if you can get another first down by throwing for that first down. Well, I think it's also important to mention it's it's I think it's really important to mention the mindset of what you're doing as well as opposed to playing scared and how many times do we see teams run the ball three times, try to get the other team to use their timeouts, they kick the ball back to them uh, and and they lose. And mm-hmm. when when if you got that one first down, you're good to go. For instance, Tennessee Titans Wild card game in New England. Third down and five, I believe it was. Anthony yeah. Ferkser on the fade. Essentially, you seal the football game right there. It's over. Yep. The Patriots don't get to stop. But if you run the ball and it, you you run into an eight-man box and you get stuffed, you're punting. Next thing you know, Tom Brady's got a lot of time to work with. Um, all right, real quick. Uh, so, but But let me just ask you this then, Ryan. While we're on the topic of the Super Bowl, yep. is Kyle Shanahan a choker? No, no. And this is, so thank you for teeing me up for this. Let's take it. So everyone complains about him abandoning the run in the, um, in the fourth quarter. I tried to quickly find some numbers um, and I couldn't, we just, you know, behind the show notes, we had, we were a little bit scrambled this week. Um, and I tried to find some quick numbers and I couldn't. So I apologize for not having them, but the running game was not working in the second half for the Titans or for the 49ers, and especially in the fourth quarter. There were a couple plays that I can vividly think of where they tried to run outside zone and 
Raheem Mostert was just running along the the sideline, and he he ended up picking up like a yard, and that was like talent from the running back to pick up a yard. Um, but let's let's focus on one specific play on the twenty on the drive where the uh, the 49ers were leading twenty to seventeen. It's second and five. This play has been talked about on Twitter all week, so I'm not saying anything new here. Credit to um, Mina Kimes. Credit to um, Stephen Ruiz. Because they, they've been talking about this a lot. Uh, but I, I fully agree with them. It is second and five. There are eight men in the box. The Chiefs have eight men in the box. Um, Kyle Shanahan decides not to run the ball. He has he gets George Kittle on Terrell Suggs. 39-year-old pass rushing Terrell Suggs. He gets the best tight end in football on Terrell Suggs. And he throws the ball. And George Kittle gets open. Yeah, And... Jimmy Garoppolo sees him open, and Jimmy Garoppolo throws it to him. Chris Jones, the second-best defensive tackle in football. Bar none. Bar only Aaron Donald. The second-best defensive tackle in football. Makes an incredible play, which he did all of the fourth quarter, and bats the ball, and it ends up incomplete. Yeah, I mean, and then they are in third down. Right, and so so now these this is where this is where the quality of your quarterback and why the quarterbacks are, are the most important position in sports, because you need the guy to be able to make the plays. And yes, it's a team sport. Yes, there are, it, it's, it's all 11 guys uh, making things happen. It's, it's, you, you cannot call passively. You cannot play call passively. And Kyle Shanahan has shown in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and now in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, both colossal losses. Yes. One, one is an offensive coordinator, one is a head coach, that he is willing to put his faith in his quarterback and put his faith in his offense, and he has been let down. And now and instead of passively running the football and putting the, you know, putting, you know, putting the game out of, his, out of his best player's hands, he decides he's going to be aggressive and he's going to play, uh, aggre- you know, stay aggressive and, and go win the game as opposed to hoping you don't lose it. And we mm-hmm. saw, and we saw him get let down by Devontae Freeman not blocking Devo- uh, Dante Hightower on the strip sack of Matt Ryan. We saw Jake, uh, we saw Chris Long force the holding call on Jake Fisher, uh, on Jake Matthews, excuse me, uh, in in 2018 um, or 2017. Uh, and we saw, we saw Chris Jones make a great play. Sometimes that's just how it works. We also, and we also saw um, him again get George Kittle open, and Jimmy Garoppolo miss him. We saw when they yep. we saw him get Emmanuel Sanders open oh. downfield for a dagger touchdown, and Jimmy Garoppolo miss him. I mean, it's the play. It's the play that it's, you dream about as 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 a pro as a right a Su- Super Bowl Super Bowl on the oh, line. It's third God. and long. Emmanuel, your you know your wide receiver gets open. You're driving back. There's pressure all around you, and you drop a dime, and he scores the touchdown, and you just won the Super Bowl. Except he missed it by three yards, five yards. Um, we and last thing that I want to say on this, we don't. People don't acknowledge enough that ev- almost every single football game is a coin flip. Anything, and in fact, statistically, anything yeah. that any game that finishes within one score is literally a coin flip. That is, those games, almost every team except for the Patriots and the Peyton Manning Colts, those are the only two teams in recent history that have bucked this trend. In close score games over a, p- a long enough period of time, your record is 500. One, in one year, you might be able to go eight and three in those close games. But the next year, you almost always regress. We saw it this year with the yeah. Bears. Last year, it was the Raiders. Or last year, it was the Cowboys. The year before that, it was the Raiders. The, every year, this happens where we see a team. They win a lot of close games. We're like, oh, they're a team on the rise. 
watch out for them next year. And then they regress back because that is just a coin flip. And this year they don't get as many good coin flips. And in an individual game, this shows up even more. What basically what Kyle Shanahan did is he had two piles that he could pick from one pile. He had the 75% chance, an open George Kittle to ice the game, an open Emmanuel Sanders to score a decisive touchdown. He was picking from the 75% bucket and he just happened to get the 25% results. Yeah, it, it happened. happened. And it's happened it's twice ha- now. It's happened, and, and, it's and, happened twice in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you get a label. And you get a label, even though even though you're in the offensive coordinator of one of one of the teams, right. which it, it, which is wild. Um, but- and, uh, so la- I will even say, last, sorry, last, last thing. Um, if you're going to compare the two, it is, a, it is a lot more defensible this time than against the Patriots, only because they were already in field goal range. If they run three times, time's off the clock, and they're taking that decisive 10-point lead. True. But again... You're not leaving it in the hands of a kicker. You're leaving it in the hands of the MVP that year. Right. So exactly. it's still defensible on his part, but that one warrants criticism, and he acknowledges criticism for that. This one is not the same thing where he was trying to get too cute. This was the smart play. This was like the 75% of the time you make this play, it works out for you. And yep. it happened to be the 25% of the time that it didn't, and it happened, it that hit like three times in the biggest moment. Last just, thing, that's football. Uh, it happens sometimes. Yeah. L- last thing we're going to leave you guys with. Um, in terms of box count and aggressiveness on early downs in these neutral situations, okay? Eight-man boxes this uh, this year on these neutral situations, 40 snaps. Patriots ran the ball 64% of the time with a success rate of 42%. They threw it 23 times, so 37%, 36-37% of the time. Against eight-man boxes, they threw it. Not enough. Success rate of 57%. Now, what's baked into there? Probably a lot of play action, um, but that is a uh, that's a topic for another show. Ryan, I was gonna say there's a lot of topics that spin off this that we'll yes. get to at later dates, like play action not being set up by the run and exactly. running running out of uh, seemingly obvious pass formations and running out of shotgun at the goal line. This is all stuff that we can get to down the line, but this is, these are all things that kind of feed into this. Guys, each week uh, we wanted to take the last couple minutes of the show and go over a, uh, a draft prospect or an under-the-radar free agent signing or acquisition or, or, or some kind of transaction. Um, Ryan, who is your guy this week? All right, this week I am looking at a uh, young-ish wide receiver in Rashard Higgins. Um, spent a few years on the Browns. He was undrafted out of C.S. Pueblo, I want to say, some Colorado uh, school. Um, he had a good, he had a really good rookie year. Uh, he kind of got buried on the depth chart. He was, he got injured last year and, uh, the year before, um, he got buried behind, you know, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, uh, Antonio Callaway the year before this. Um, he's not an elite athlete. I think he ran like a four, six, five, 40. Um, and he's, you know, he comes with the injury, the early injury history. Uh, he's not a super athlete. He doesn't have a ton of production. And because of all this, his contract shouldn't be particularly expensive. You can probably get him, again, this has been my theme so far, Ryan Anderson, Carl Joseph, now Richard Higgins. All these guys are uh, talented players that have shown some level of success in the NFL uh, that should not be particularly expensive, that fills out that middle of your roster where if you move on from it, it doesn't kill you, um, but you might be finding something there. Uh, And here's why I like him. He is a clean, clean, clean route runner. Clean route runner. Where we have we have like the Mohammed Sanu's and the Nikhil Harry's where they they kind of win with their size and physicality. Rashard Higgins is six one. 
again, he runs like a four six, so he's not a burner, but he is such a clean route runner that he can be he can separate from man coverage. He gets he can beat press, he can separate at the top of his stems, and he he can get open. And that is what the Patriots need more of are just guys who can get open on their own. Um as as if he slides into that Philip Dorset role, I, I I still want Philip Dorset back. I love Philip Dorset. Um, but if he slides into that role, he can do similar things. And maybe it seems like Brady kind of lost Dor- favor with Dorset towards the end of the year. Maybe he gets on a better page with Brady. Um, and if they decide that Muhammad Snooze a sunk cost, they want to free that six and a half million to go get to go pay Tom Brady to go get Austin Hooper, they can slide him into that Sanu role for you know probably a third of the price, maybe half the price. Uh, and I, I it, it's 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 another low risk. Um, moderate reward type signing that I would be all over. I could get down with that. Uh, and Higgins is a guy that we've heard a lot of chatter on um, in, in the years past. Um, okay. It is, And there is a chance there that he might, you know, since so many teams are probably going to be interested in a young receiver with a history of success, his contract might get a little absurd at that point past. We're talking in a situation where you can get him at a, you know, a deal that he's worth. Bless you. Um, all right, so uh, I was going to bring up an old, familiar face here, uh, but I'm going to switch gears. Um, although I do think that uh, bringing back Adrian Claiborne would be a nice little move for the uh, Patriots this year, especially with uh, mm-hmm. guys like Kyle Van Noy leaving. But he does play that down hand-in-the-dirt uh, third-down pass rusher position that we're uh, seeing Chase Winovich uh, take over, um, as well as John Simon. So um, – a guy that is going to be on the free agent market uh, defensive tackle if uh, if we don't get uh, the return don't see the return of a, a Danny Shelton um, is uh, Jordan Phillips guy who's been all over the AFC mm. East yeah he, he's been a I'm a fan of his um, PFF doesn't love him um, I, I don't know uh, I've got to take a, look, a closer look at him it's probably because of his uh, it's probably because of his run fits but six six three hundred and thirty pounder. Uh, can two gap I know he can two gap and uh, he's actually got more pass rush chops um, than than just about anybody his size going at least in the conference or uh, at least in the division Um, they've seen a ton of him he's all over their tape uh, and he'll be out there at a manageable cost um, probably a couple million dollars a year probably somewhere in that range Uh, he's got five years under his belt um, and like I said he can get after the pass rusher a little bit and get you some of that early down pass rush uh, from the big guys on the interior, like we like we've seen a little bit from Lawrence Guy, um, and we saw a little bit from Adam Butler this year as he made that a little bit of that transition to that strong uh, defensive end uh, kind of five tech four uh, eye role. So Jordan Phillips would be a guy I would like to see uh, like to see them bring in uh, on a manageable deal for an under the radar signing. Um, okay, Ryan, that's going to do it for us this week, man. Episode three of Deep Down the Middle. Uh, anything else to add? No, let's get out of here. Uh, um, sorry, one thing. Uh, I'm on board with Jordan Phillips. I have a feeling he might get paid a little bit more than you're projecting there. Yeah, um, we'll Mar- Marcel Louis-Jacques, um, probably best best Bills reporter going. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Um, he seems to think that Phillips is going to get a nice deal and that the Bills aren't going to really have a chance of bringing him back. So I, I, don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he yeah. gets priced out a little bit. We'll see what happens. I'm de- I would definitely be on board at a lower price. It's a 100%. hefty. It's a hefty interior defensive line market out there, especially with guys like Michael Pierce and and all those guys out there. But um, we can even you can even go a tier down. A guy like they saw um, like Austin Johnson, um, mm-hmm. 
or a uh, you know, like an Austin Johnson would be a lower under, under the radar guy. Like a Zach Kerr, guys like that are out there too. So um, yeah, for that lower tier. But um, all right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for episode three of Deep Down the Middle. Sorry, I was a little delayed this week. We had some uh, some stuff going on, but um, make sure you guys uh, are following us on Twitter. Follow Ryan at Ryan underscore Kieran. That's E I. And uh, follow me on there as well, at bphillips underscore sb. Make sure you guys are going to petspulpit.com all week long for, uh, or all off-season long, for that matter, for your Patriots off-season coverage. And uh, we will be back at you guys next week with uh, another episode of Deep Down the Middle. All right, so go Pats.